fake, fake, fakeity fake. Hi, I'm Jody. And I'm Vienna. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News and talk about abortion with my friend Vienna. Get rid of those things. The fetuses or the abortion? <laughs> what, are, what are the things we're getting rid of, you know? Uh, that depends on your perspective, Jody. Um... <laughs> Centrist Vienna I... over here. <laughs> yeah, you know, we might have Catholic li- listeners. Um, <laughs> don't want to alienate the Catholic demographic and, you know, have a Inquisition or Crusade launched against us. Um, you know, Crusade might boost ratings, so... <laughs> Well, and the thing is, too, like, they haven't done one in a while. Like, yeah. it would be nice to reboot, you know? Yeah. it's. I mean, it's, they keep making, like, MCU movies. It's like, we need, uh, we need to reboot the older franchises, you know? Well, and if you think about it, really, like, you can kind of trace the decline in, like, enthusiasm for Catholicism post the end of the, like, Last Crusades. So... If they want, like, the membership to feel engaged again, <laughs> they need to engage them in the ways that work. Right. It's it's all about membership engagement. I feel you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How are you, Vienna? <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing all right. Uh, yeah, it's it's nice times outside. It, it's yeah. it's no longer the depression season. Um, I'm very well caffeinated. Nice. Uh, yeah. How are you? I'm, you know, I'm also feeling it. I'm a bit tired from, you know, doing the, the campaign work, uh, considering that we are in an election in Ontario right now. But uh, the weather is nice. Uh, I, I'm a little sad that we went from, like, freezing to, like, scorching hot, like, right away. Like, I feel like we missed spring, but I will take it, so. <laughs> There's supposed to be a storm on the weekend, and then nice. it'll go to, like, actual springtime temperatures. You know, that's what I'm missing. I will be super cheered up when we just have, like, a ripping thunderstorm. I, I, I miss uh, those. It's going to be so lovely. Ah. Uh, so. Yeah. If, <laughs> right? Yeah. So before we get into the content, I, I do want to say a few things. The first is I am going to be posting a, uh, I guess, bonus episode sometime between the release of this episode and the next episode, which is going to be me chatting with my friend Robin Schwartz, who's been on the podcast before. She is someone who has been involved in the abortion rights movement within Canada. And so I figured uh, hearing her voice, given what's going on, uh, to at least put some perspective on what's happening in Canada would be nice. We ended up like not talking too much about abortion really but more about like uh organizing and like what the failure of the united states can say about how we can better organize on the left to make sure shit like this doesn't happen uh here or anywhere else so uh if that interests you it'll be coming out uh soon hopefully soon uh but i want to get this episode out first the other thing is i have two corrections to make sort of i mean they're they're so not really that big of a deal, but I figured I should, uh, you know, in uh, <laughs> seem like I'm, I'm catching these things and correcting myself. Two episodes ago, I called PNAC the project for a North American century, when I know that it is really project for the new American century. I just, I saw the N and my brain went north instead of new. So that's, I, I'm sorry. 
Uh, please forgive me, two cars, who was the audience member who pointed that out. <laughs> But uh, I also, there were some other people who pointed it out as well, but uh, Two Cars was the first to get to me. The other one I noticed myself when I was editing, uh, which was last episode that we released, and I kept on saying the first country agreement in terms of immigration, when it is in fact the third safe country agreement. And the reason why I kept saying first safe country agreement is because literally in the agreement, it says that it, uh, uh, you have to remain in the first safe country you arrive at. So my brain just went, well, if it's about you arriving at the first safe country, wouldn't it be the first safe country agreement? <laughs> and of course it isn't. I can't even tell why it's called the third safe country agreement, other than it's like, you know, there's the originating country, which is the first country. You then arrive in the second country, which is, say, like Canada, and the third country that you travel through to get to Canada, that's like the safe country. So, <laughs> at least. <laughs> Either way, it doesn't matter. But I said first safe country agreement when it's third safe country agreement. So uh, I thought I would correct myself. Sometimes the world is just weird and my brain is weird and those mistakes will happen. But none of the content I said was incorrect. So... Uh, I'm sorry that my naming <laughs> me, I did not use their proper names. With that, uh, I think this is going to be primary. This episode is primarily going to be focused on abortion. So we, we might as well just get right into it. Uh, a light topic. <laughs> but uh, yes, here we go. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. So we're covering the week of May 2nd to May 6th. On the first day, May 2nd, Ezra is mad because uh, there was a black block riot in Montreal on May 1st. I, at first, was unaware that this happened, but apparently there was a... Uh, you know, May 1st is the, the uni sort of like universal... International Workers' Day. That's the word. Thank you, Vienna. <laughs> and uh, there was an anti-capitalist group within Montreal that decided to smash some window fronts and spray painted a few cars and stuff, which like... So the thing they do every year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Ezra just wants to highlight it because this is like evidence that the left is like evil and does violence and all this stuff. And he wants Fuck to... Yeah. <laughs> And he wants to contrast it with uh, the Rolling Thunder thing, which happened that weekend as well, which was this like biker gang of veterans that went to Ottawa as like a kind of replay of the trucker convoy thing. And Ezra is like really upset because like he wants to claim that there was no like crackdown in Montreal on the protests, even though the police in Montreal released tear gas on the protests uh Etc. They they did what Montreal police did in response to the violent. Or well, I, they're not really violent. They're smashing property. But like you know what I mean. The people being rowdy and the, the Montreal police were rowdy, and that's that's what Montreal does. You know. Yeah, like that's literally it. It's just like not to essentialize francophones, but they're ready to throw down culturally. Yeah, and the cops respond in the same way, <laughs> like. Were the biker gangs, I mean, it's a different, like, 
In contrast, you just had that long occupation, and there are a bunch of, like, right-wing nutjobs that, like, threaten things in ways that, like, these anti-capitalist rioters are not doing, right? Uh, for example, I, I don't recall the last time a bunch of anti-capitalist activists were found with a stockpile of weapons, you know? But uh, the same crew that likes to hang out with these biker gang people, they have been found with stashes of weapons, you know? So it's like, th the balance is different here, you know? I mean, like, and I only say this in terms because Ezra wants to frame these parties as, like, the left are actually worse than the right wing here. Where it's like, I can agree that the police crackdowns are, like, bad to both sides because police kind of suck. But it's like, no, no, like, there is a reason why the police are targeting them. It isn't because they're just nice people who are mad at Trudeau, you know? <laughs> And the thing is, like, they're still treated with kid gloves. How yeah. long did it take them to get tear gassed? Well, I don't even think they got tear gassed in Ottawa this weekend, but the rioters in well, Montreal did. <laughs> but, like, with the uh, Ottawa convoy, right? Like, versus this, exactly, where yeah. it's, like, first chance they get, the Montreal police are tear gassing, like, people. It's just... Yeah, exactly. Amazingly, the response is different. So, no, I mean, nothing really happened in terms of the, the convoy thing. So that kind of like ends the discussion. But Ezra has Menzies on, David Menzies, because he was there for Rebel News in Ottawa to like witness this biker rolling thunder convoy thing. And all they talk about is this one incident that we actually watched on stream, which was there was this one counter protester to the, the biker rally, and it was this uh, woman with a sign saying, like, convoy, go home, and David Menzies proceeds to harass her. Uh, and then, like, other things ensue where, like, other people get involved, but at least on Ezra's show, the interesting thing is the only thing they show is David Menzies harassing this woman and leave out, for example, on the video that's up on their YouTube channel, a veteran ends up like coming by and actually protecting her from David Menzies in this weird disagreeing with her, but being like, you need to leave her alone and respect her right to free speech and like these like interesting interactions. They ignore all that and spend the whole episode just making fun of this woman. So... I don't know what else to say to that. <laughs> uh, God. Yeah. And so, yeah, th there's not much to cover there. They're just, uh, they're assholes. They harass people. That's pretty much it. Yeah. And this was like some of the worst, like, and most like blatant, obvious harassment that they've incited on like one individual that I've seen, I think. Like it was just so explicitly targeted and then it with immediate results as well with like other people at the thing coming and then harassing her as well and david kind of like cheering it on and like i don't have a clip of it because so much is going on like it's messy like it wouldn't make good audio uh yeah but like there was like moments in this where like she explicitly tells him leave me alone I don't like what you're doing. Like, she's very clear about, like, wanting him to leave her alone. And David Menzies persists, which, you know, is uh, telling. <laughs> he persisted. Yeah. So it, it really does, like, you know, it's hard. They like to pretend like, oh, we're just doing journalism. And it's like, no, that's harassment. If they tell you to leave, you lo uh, leave them alone several times and you refuse, you're harassing them. Go away. Yeah. So that was it. 
We now get to May 3rd, and of course, this was the day after the leaked Supreme Court draft uh, defending overturning Roe v. Wade in the United States. And he spends this whole episode talking about Roe v. Wade, and this is primarily where we're going to sit for most of this episode, because the rest of the days, uh, we'll get to it, but again, they barely touch on anything else. I just want to flag right up front before we start getting into it, which is that we just have gone through two years of listening to Ezra talk about how these COVID restrictions and COVID mandates are a restriction on our bodily autonomy and our right to, to, to freedom and liberty and privacy and all this stuff. We got the whole thing. And Ezra has promoted uh, legal scholars in Canada to challenge these restrictions in, to, in terms of these freedoms and rights that we have, which should apply to everyone, regardless of what province you're in or whatever. They should be national freedoms that we all have. This is what he's been doing for the past two years. So I just want you to have that in your mind when we go through this, okay? <laughs> it has been placed within my imagination. And, like, I don't want to make... We're going to get it, like, uh, Ezra making a whole bunch of hypocrisy gotchas, because that's pretty much all he does, right? But, like, I want to frame it here, because, like, there really is, like, a fundamental contradiction in what he's doing. But, of course, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter at all. Like, they... It really, to them, is all this is just a game. It's just a fucking game to him, you know? Uh, and they want power over people, you know? Uh and so these are the things that we're going to come across in this. So we, we might as well just start. His first point is that this draft does not mean that Roe v. Wade will be overturned, implying that the draft might change and the decision isn't final. And I didn't clip any of that because, like, it's such a stupid thing to say because, like, it fundamentally misunderstands what draft opinions are in the Supreme Court, right? So, like, the idea is they had all the arguments in the court. And then they go back and they make their decision and then they decide. So like five of the justices, I think, decided that they're all going to sign on to overturn Roe v. Wade. And the other four, three of them were definite, like, are not going to overturn Roe v. Wade. And John Roberts is the one, like, questionable. But here's the thing is, he doesn't matter. <laughs> Even if he chooses with the three, that's still five versus four and the thing still passes. So like, yeah. No matter what this is going through, there's no, uh, it's done. There's, there's no, um, it, you know, uh, unless something radical happens, like a nuke falls on America or like all the Supreme Court justices get in a bus accident, <laughs> like, you know, beyond those circumstances, this is happening, you know. That's, yeah, that's how 50% plus one works, yeah. right? Like. <laughs> but it's weird to me, like, I don't even know why they're playing that game. It's almost like the only thing I could think of is they're saying that to try to like make it seem like the reaction right now is irrational. Like, oh, the left is being so irrational when this decision isn't even final or something. Yeah. And like somebody, I saw something today about someone saying like, oh, like people attempting to shape the court's opinion is like bad or something or like, you know. Attempting to have any sort of, like, amount of democracy is is a bad thing, I guess. Um, well, we're going to talk about the leak itself in a bit as yeah. well. But, like, 
there's some evidence that this leak itself was an attempt to pressure some of the people on the court uh, in ways that a lot of the media coverage hasn't really dealt with appropriately. So we will get to it. But like, you know, this idea that some like that somehow influencing the course court is all as bad. And it's like, they're still human beings. Like, I, like, I don't know. It's like almost like their picture of like judges are supposed to be these pristine creatures that are unaffected by anything. <laughs> they're they completely are. detached from all material reality. And just from on high can like cast down their rulings. Their heads in jars that <laughs> it's future. Get like, yeah, they're Futurama, but they have VR books that are goggles that just show like legal documents <laughs> that's actually how they like live they only subsist on legal documents you have to keep feeding them in or else like the brain stops working yeah yeah like there's a shredder above the top of their tank that <laughs> just like the paper falls into and then they get to like subsist off of it so that's all he has to say about that Part of it anyways, I think it comes up in the interview segment too, but it's just like that argument's stupid. Uh, it's it's a final decision, basically. It is going to be overturned. Uh, and uh, so people are rightfully angry. Ezra then gets right to what I consider to be his main point, at least it consists through the rest of this episode. And it is to suggest that the Roe v. Wade decision in 1973 was what he considers to be an act of judicial activism and that abortion should be legislated by the people state by state. So it's a state's rights argument. We need to, when the, when the judges ruled that Roe v. Wade was the law of the land, they were the judicial activists. And what we need is make it so that, like, we need to bring back democracy and have people in every state get to, like, vote on it and decide whether or not people should have the right to privacy. You know, because Damn. we should be voting on rights. I sure wish the Dems had had a supermajority at any point and promised to pass abortion legislation. <sighs> then we would be in this predicament. <laughs> I mean, that's complicated in itself because they've yeah. they've always had more right-leaning or Democrats that have been pro-life. So it's like, even though they had a quote-unquote supermajority, they didn't have the votes to do this, you know? And it's not even clear with this court. This is the other thing is people are saying, well, why don't they do something now? And I'm like, it's not even clear to me that that this Supreme Court would accept, like they yeah. would find some way to be like, nope, it's unconstitutional for the, for Congress to pass a law like that, you know? Well, that's the thing about them doing it in like a state's rights way too, is like they're saying that there is no ability, even if, you know, by some miracle – all of the Dems agreed to it now, or in November, they had got, like, every seat in Congress and Senate or whatever. There's no, like, if they're like, oh, no, the feds can't do anything about it, then it doesn't matter. And, like, that's kind of the point, right? Like, well, it that... makes it so that regardless of federal election results, they're unable to do anything about it because then it would violate the ruling the other end of the state's rights stuff is that mitch mcconnell already is talking about making it a federal abortion ban so it's like it's not just about states rights they want to mandate mm -hmm. this for the entire country you know so uh yep fun times for america <laughs> did you see that one place that was talking about banning condoms or that one gop senator i think yep. banning condoms nationwide that's 
we'll get into it. But like this, I mean, we're going to get into it with the clips that are coming right now. But like the right to privacy is what gives you things like the Loving uh, versus Virginia case, which was about interracial marriage. So what is that? Is that scrapped now? Because that's based on the right to privacy. Gay marriage, that's gone too. Like all these things were given by the right to privacy. And that's what they're using as their justification is that there is no right to privacy enshrined in the Constitution. So fuck all these rights. Like <laughs> now, now, like Ezra doesn't get to this, so I don't mind talking about this right now. But like nowhere in the thing uh, does uh, Alito, who was the one who wrote this draft opinion, explain what's the difference between Roe v. versus Wade and all these other cases that I just listed other than he's like, oh, abortion's different. That's kind of like, he's like, don't worry, we won't apply the, whatever we're doing here to these other cases. But it's like, why don't not? Don't worry. Right. Like, the arguments yeah. are identical. Like, <laughs> if there is no constitutional right to privacy, then there's no right to privacy in these other cases either. Fuck. Is, and like, oh and, the, and then what? Should we just have the states vote on interracial marriage again? It should just be the states get to vote on it. Segregation. Let the states vote on it. Fucking incredible. I love America. California <laughs> secession within our lifetimes. <laughs> so the clip I'm about to play right now is Ezra reading part of the ruling. And this is what I'm going to play to you. It's it's a longish clip and we'll we'll split it in two, basically. But this is all that Ezra actually reads of the piece. And I actually think that like, this is the most damning portion of the fucking legal thing. And it's the thing that Ezra wants to highlight for why this is such a great decision. Now, of course, I should actually say he's going to start by reading it. There's going to be times and you could tell by Ezra's reading voice when the tone changes and it's him rather than the uh, Alito that he's reading. But yeah, it's going to start with him reading. At the time of row 30, states still prohibit abortion at all stages. In the years prior to that decision, about a third of the states had liberalized their laws, but Roe abruptly ended that political process and imposed the same highly restrictive regime on the entire nation and had effectively struck down the abortion laws of every single state. That's all very interesting history, isn't it? It kind of, kind of puts things into perspective. It was a judicial coup in 1973. It was seven men deciding to make a decision for 50 states instead of letting those 50 states rule themselves. You could tell, like, they're, they're playing this, like, weird game. They're trying to, like, flip the script, right? Which is the idea that it's, like, it was the road decision that actually restricted your freedom. It restricted the freedom of state legislatures who get to decide, rather than, you know, framing this in terms of actually what the judges did, was they protected your right to privacy. Instead, it's like, oh, we hurt those poor states. <laughs> Those poor states don't get the right to choose, you know? Those poor states with feelings, emotions, <laughs> needs. Now, of course, like, there's some, like, thing you could say in this argument, which is that, like, it's, well, it's, states is a theoretical entity, but it's all of us getting to vote and participate. But again, when I, when I started this conversation off, I talked about what is Ezra doing for the past two years, right? And one of the things that he always talked about was the tyranny of the majority. Like, how dare we all get to, like, decide that we should mandate vaccines and then force that on them? It's the tyranny of the majority forcing it on the minority of people who don't want to get vaccinated, right? 
this is the exact same argument. Like, what? So a majority of the population gets to vote and, like, force other people to, like, what they get to do with their bodies? Like... <laughs> yeah. And and the thing is, like, when you when you sit there to even think about it a little bit, this is the whole point of having rights, is to prevent the tyranny of majority. That's exactly why the Bill of Rights was done. That's exactly why the Charter of Rights and Freedoms in Canada was done, was to prevent the tyranny of majority. To say that, like, there's some rights that no matter what, like, the provincial governments or the state governments in the United States do, those rights remain consistent. You can't, like, overrule them, Right. And you could see why, because you don't want, say, in the case of segregation or interracial marriage, you don't want the people going, we're going to vote to prevent people from interracially marrying." You know? Yeah. And we agreed as a society that no, individual states do not get to make that electoral decision because it's your right to marry whoever the fuck you want to marry. Similarly, it's your right to do whatever you want to your body, within limits, in the case of uh, a pregnancy. And they're like, no, we need to have have legislatures decide it. We all get to vote on it. It's incredible. It's like, like it's it's basically making a mockery of like the legal system. <laughs> it's Patriot Act three. Yeah. <laughs> the hit conclusion to the trilogy. Yeah, I mean. There's an element to this, which it all goes back to George Bush, like, anyways, because, like, all this, everything that happens in the United States happens because of the 5-4 vote of Republican justices that voted to elect George Bush. And yes, they voted to elect George Bush in 2000 because they decided in the Supreme Court to stop the recount vote, which we know would have elected Al Gore. And they did so arbitrarily in a 5-4 decision where it was all five conservative judges voting against the four liberals who elected George Bush right at the time where they were able to like have the algorithms to then gerrymander the shit out of America and have like made it so every election since George Bush was elected, Democrats win high numbers in terms of like votes, yet the representation in Congress and the Senate is low. <laughs> I love democracy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's so like I frame this in terms as well, because we just heard him say that it was a judicial coup. What happened with Roe v. Wade? Meanwhile, that's a literal judicial coup. <laughs> coup. Like, yeah, right. That never gets brought up. And then we just had like uh, when uh, Barack Obama's final year as a president, Mitch McConnell uh, sidelined it all press precedent and refused to appoint Obama's uh, Supreme Court pick, which then, of course, Trump got elected, and then they appointed it then. And then he went back on the precedent that he just made when Obama was in his final term to allow Trump to appoint someone in his final year, saying, oh, when I, it, of course, I didn't mean it with Obama, and now I, it's okay with Trump. Because, and like he tries to give some legal justification, but it's just Mitch McConnell wanted to appoint a judge. He didn't want Obama to do it because he wanted to get anti-choice judges on the bench. And they succeeded. They played hardball. They broke the rules. Nobody rioted. And they got what they wanted. So there you go. <laughs> but we're, but, but it's the judicial coup was the 72 decision in 1973. That was the real judicial coup. 
death to America. <laughs> Just death to America. That's it. Like, yeah. Like, the American Supreme Court has absolutely no legitimacy. That should just be said right here. It, has, it hasn't had legitimacy for years. Pretty much has been tainted since the uh, Bush v. Gore decision in 2000. But I, but I do want to ask you a question. So, at the bottom of, of what Ezra is saying here is that this is states' rights. And I'm just I'm curious, Vienna, where have you heard that before? <laughs> hmm. I don't know. Where could I have heard that before? You know. I don't think I've heard that one before. That one, it sounds unique. Special. You know. One I, of a kind. I do recall there was uh, this thing that happened where many people died in America as they fought what is known as a civil war. And part of the argument that was made was that, oh, states should have rights and the rights should be to own people. Uh, I don't remember that one. I don't, I don't... <laughs> So I wanted to flag that here because I feel like this is hanging in the background is like all this shit comes from white supremacy and patriarchy emanating out of the Southern Confederacy, still emanating into today. And this like stupid notion of states' rights, which again contradicts all Ezra's been doing for the past two years of saying that like we have rights shrined in the Charter of Rights and they're important and we need to keep them to now go, oh, we need states deciding things. I mean, I mean, do you mean the War of Northern Aggression, Jody? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God damn it. Yeah. America, you, you, you had a thing, you fought it, and then you, you somehow let the Confederacy win over a long period of time. You just There's let them fester. Way. I think it's a Bordiga quote where it's like, the fascist states lost World War II, but fascism won. Yeah. And it's like the Confederate States lost, but Confederacy won. Like. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it'll become more clear in a bit, but we'll, we'll listen to the rest. So Ezra then continues to read the draft opinion, this time addressing the due process clause of the 14th Amendment. And I just want to say, when did, when did the 14th Amendment happen? I don't know which one the 14th is. It happened after the Civil War. <laughs> Around, it was after they won the Civil War. The basic, I, I guess I could do the brief rundown of what the 14th Amendment is right now before you hear Ezra sort of talk about it. The 14th Amendment was sort of to sort of, uh, to do what the, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms did in Canada, right? So back then they had a Bill of Rights in America, but the Bill of Rights only applied to the federal government, Okay. So then what they said is, well, we need to make it so that the Bill of Rights sort of applies nationally rather than just to the federal government, right? So it applies to all the states. That way you couldn't have, say, what Ezra's arguing for here, which is the states' rights bullshit. <laughs> Instead, they were like, you know, you all went states' rights and then started to fight a war with us. We're going to make it so that you don't get to decide the rights for people. There are rights and they apply to everyone and you can't just vote to like undo that right can the supreme court vote to undo that though well the 14th amendment was voted on by congress and it was the only way that kept these uh allowed the people who participated in the confederacy to rejoin the union after they tried to rebel and so they all voted for it so it is law it was voted on <laughs> 
Now, the, the thing that they're going to get on, because they're going to try to talk about the right to privacy. The thing, so there was no right to privacy in the Bill of Rights. However, like, there, there are aspects of it. But, so, when you have these people who want to claim that uh, you don't have a right to privacy, they're buying into this, like, notion that's called originalism. And originalism is this idea that it has to do with, like, laws only matter based on the original intent of the, uh, you know, founders or whoever wrote the Constitution. That's, like, that's how you know how the law works. When... For one, that's an absurd position because, like, the internet wasn't around back then. So it's like, can we, how do we know what the founding fathers' original intent were when it comes to internet regulation? <laughs> but so most, most legal scholars throughout all, and judges through all of American history were not originalists. They, of course, took in new information and sort of like went with it. So it's like they don't need in the Bill of Rights an explicit like this is the right to privacy. And here's exactly what a right to privacy is. No, it's like what they had was like an outline of like various rights and it included in them is a right to privacy. And so throughout since the 14th Amendment made it so that the Bill of Rights applies to all states, courts since then for the past hundred years have allowed for the right to privacy in many cases. Loving v. Virginia that I've already mentioned, uh, uh, Obergefell, which allowed for gay marriage. Th there's even cases that are like less less like known as like these huge cases. One of them was the uh, allowing people to purchase contraception. So again, that's going to be gone. <laughs> Uh, you know, so when you said earlier about the condoms and like uh, Republicans wanting to take away your your uh, birth control, it's going to happen. Uh, maybe not now, but but soon. And all because they decided that this right to privacy isn't in there, even though judges for the past hundred years have said the right to privacy exists. And, the, and their justification is it wasn't originally there. Right. If you go back to the founding fathers, the founding fathers would be like, no, no right to privacy. <laughs> Yeah, there's no, there's no like famous quote from I think it's Jefferson about privacy. James Madison is another one that was hardcore about privacy. Yeah, yeah. No, wait, not Jefferson. Benjamin Franklin. That's it, isn't it? Was he a founder? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. He but was also he just was one like of the early presidents. I think. You know, famously, all of all of the founders agreed on everything. That's why um, <laughs> Alexander Hamilton lived so long and. Uh, well, I mean, like, original intent is stupid for, like, for obvious, I mean, the, not only the obvious reason of the internet, but just, like, how do you, how do you know someone's original intent? <laughs> the judges have time travel. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing is it becomes this vague standard, which they then just get to apply it to whatever yeah. they want to apply it to. That's basically what originalism is, is like the judges going, I feel this way and I'm just going to say that it was the original intent and go with it. And that's what they fucking been doing. No, like it, it's a it's a secular fundamentalism, right? Like, yeah. you know, it's the same with like any kind of like neo-traditionalism. It's not the actual tradition. All of the traditions are like 30 years old, but like you pretend that it is and find justifications for it after the fact and then claim that this is how it's always been. Well, let's play the clip because that is exactly what they argue. So here it goes. <laughs> Read a little bit more. I find this very interesting, don't you? We hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled. 
the Constitution makes no reference to abortion, and no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision, including the one on which the defenders of Roe and Casey now chiefly rely, the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. That provision has been held to guarantee some rights that are not mentioned in the Constitution, but any such right must be deeply rooted in this nation's history and tradition and implicit in the concept of ordered liberty. The right to abortion does not fall within this category. I won't read much more, but boy, does it go into the history of abortion and the history of abortion laws. It won't surprise you to know that it has generally, even universally, been illegal until the sexual revolution. If you have time to read the ruling, please do. You can find it very easily online. But what you will find is that although the five judges are clearly against abortion, morality is not the basis for their ruling. They're simply saying the 1973 ruling that invented a constitutional right to abortion out of thin air is is junk law, and um, it's for the states. I'll read some more. The inescapable conclusion is that a right to abortion is not deeply rooted in the nation's history and traditions. On the contrary, an unbroken tradition of prohibiting abortion on pain of criminal punishment persisted from the earliest days of the common law until 1973. Now, of course, Democrats and prohibition advocates will hate this rule. But surely this comes down to the question, do you think that you should be ruled by a vote of seven unelected judges or nine or whatever? Or should millions of people get to make these decisions together? So, like, you can see he's making that uh, unelected health bureaucrats kind of argument. So, like, the judges are unelected, so they shouldn't be, like, making rules that apply to all of us. And it's... And all, all, all that's happening is the judges are interpreting the Bill of Rights. That's what's happening. It's not like they're yeah. making these these rules from on high. But you can tell here, like this, there, it's an appeal to tradition. Oh, there used to be laws against abortion, so therefore it wasn't. It was never the constitutional uh, author's original intent to say that abortion is legal. Do you do you know what else was historically allowed in America? <laughs> hmm. Back in the time period that they're reflecting on. I can think of a couple of things, honestly. Yes. I mean, there was a big um, one, though, that ended up in the ratification of the 14th Amendment. <laughs> ooh. Ooh. Could that, have been, could that have been the enslavement of African-Americans? Like, couldn't, couldn't you just plug that into what Alito just fucking said and then be like, since the beginning of our founding... It's clearly that the people who wrote the Constitution thought that black people were property, not people. So therefore, like... (laughs) I mean, also... Genocide? You know, like... No, but you should leave it to the state to vote on genocide. That's... (laughs) You should leave it to the state to vote where its manifest destiny applies to. (laughs) The thing, like, obviously, America has never lived up to its principles. But there is a sense in which, like, if you read the Bill of Rights, the way, like, a lot of judges have read it over the years, it's clear that it is trended in a certain direction, even if it hasn't always lived up to that, right? Mm. And so it's just, like, weird to me that, like, for these people who are obsessed with the American tradition to then become like, like for them to like accuse judges that were like conservative, voting 7-2 to, to side with Roe in that decision. 
and then claim <laughs> and then claim that they were the activist judges and not like these new justice justices who believe in this concept of originalism which has only been around since the 60s and do, do you know what happened in the 60s <laughs> Hmm. There was another racial conflict called the Civil Rights Movement. And there was a decision called Brown v. Board of Education, which was enshrining segregation. And that's where originalism comes from. Because they wanted to say segregation. desegregation. Pardon? You said enshrining desegregation. Oh, sorry. You said enshrining segregation. (laughs) Yes, it was. I'm I'm dropping the bit of not knowing anything. (laughs) So it's like. Yeah, it, it this whole sense of like originalism is a is an outgrowth of racial civil rights in America and the growing feminist movement. It's like a reaction to both of those where they're like, no, we want to go back to the founders when like it was cool to own people and things were segregated and men were seen as the the leaders. This is what this is. It's just like they don't have the fucking cojones to like stand there and just be like, yes, we want to enslave people. We want people to be segregated and we want men to be in control of women. Just fucking say it. They know they can't, <laughs> but they know that they can get away with doing it this way. Like, you know, Congress and whatever already passed that law about like not being able to protest in front of judges' homes. Yeah. They could act on that one real quick, get that one passed. Because that one has bipartisan support. Yeah, exactly. You know, a couple people holding signs, not even like, you know, there's been a couple firebombings, not even like, you know, assassinations. You know what's fucking stupid about that? Like that itself is unconstitutional. That's infringing your right to free speech to protest in front of someone's house. I mean, the comparison that I've seen is like, the Supreme Court voting in favor of the of people's ability to protest in front of uh, the homes of the employees of abortion clinics. Yeah. I don't, so, you know, <laughs> I'm thinking one right law for too. me, another for thee type of thing, right? I mean, like, what this is showing is that fucking, like, the institutions in America, in America are racist. And white supremacist. And the funny thing is, is I wonder wonder if there was these groups of people that were, like, critical of these institutions and critical of the the white supremacist, like, critical, you know, what is it, racism? So they they had an idea about it. They had some sort of hypothesis. Yeah. Like like a theory. Like like a critical race theory about the judicial system in America. (laughs) I wish those people were around. I wish that existed. (laughs) <laughs> we live in a fucking like what is happening Bia? <laughs> this is what happens when you only burn things down a little bit yeah gotta go all the way it's it's just sad seeing it crumble this easily and then seeing because here's the thing is the reason why I'm being sort of like silly about this is just like out of my own sheer frustration of watching 
people who I guess would be easily described as centrist sit there being like, we need to debate these things. We need to hear the other side. What we need to do is like use our billions of dollars, dollars to buy a social media platform so that we could see hear both sides of this thing. Meanwhile, they're the ones banning the teaching that tells you that this system is fucking racist while they do the racist shit all while denying they're doing the racist shit. And it is so endlessly fucking frustrating. So endlessly frustrating. <laughs> yeah, especially like, you know, because we're watching it mostly from the outside, too, where it's like, you know, on the one hand, we don't have a legislation that enshrines the right to abortion, really. And also, like, access to it is abysmal in this country. But it's also like, you know, at the current time, ours is not as threatened. Uh, but it's also like, you know... Not much we can do from up here beyond be endlessly frustrated. Well, I and mean, also, you know, because it's America, so it affects everywhere else in the world, too. Yeah. So it's like, you know, the U.S. already was like, we are, you know, with any of our aid dollars and whatever, can't go towards anything that supports abortion. And like, that's already been a thing. So I can't imagine how much more restrictive it's going to get in terms of like you know, just, like, the world stage and foreign policy relating to influence on other countries legalizing abortion, and then also the actual, like, usual downtrickle of, like, anything that America does gets emulated by the right wing everywhere else because they see it work there. Yeah. And, you know, it, I guess it was already the topic of that one conservative debate that just happened. Um, they brought They talked about abortion there. I don't know what was said. I didn't honestly look, but, you know, give us a few months or whatever. Give us a couple of years to the next federal election. And one of them is being massively supported by the theocratic fascists. Her name is Leslin Lewis. So uh, she is a contender in that race. And all the pro-lifers love her. So. Oh, yeah. Now... We will get to the Canadian aspect of abortion because, of course, Ezra's going to talk about it. But I first wanted to play a clip of Ezra talking about the leak itself. So, like, the, the implications of who it can be. And the only reason I want to play this is not, like, uh, I, I think we'll get to it again because uh, it gets mentioned in the interview segment. And we'll, like, spend a little bit bit more time there i just wanted to flag that this is ezra's uh, staking a claim here a prediction so i want to have it noted for for the future but don't forget that it started with a crime let me read from the chief justice he he issued this statement today he said he's going to get police to investigate the leak but i'm going to make a prediction right now the leaker will reveal himself before he's caught i'm guessing that the leaker is a clerk to a left-wing judge i'm guessing that within hours he will have a gofundme crowdfund that'll raise millions of dollars for him from every pro-abortion activist in the country who now thinks of him as their hero. I think he'll be given the best Democratic Party lawyers around. I don't think he's going to be banished or denounced. I think he'll do the opposite. I think he'll do the talk show circuit. He'll do the law school circuit. He'll be a millionaire, a hero. I don't think, even if it was a left-wing thing, and we'll, we can speculate left-right in the next clip when we get to it, but just here, I don't think that that would happen. I feel like the centrists of the Democratic Party would be like, how dare you insult the pristine <laughs> Supreme Court? Uh. <laughs> also, just like interesting pronoun use. You yes. Know? 
He's so certain it's a he, which is like weird. Yeah. Uh, I, I noticed that as well, like, because he's so adamant. He says it like multiple times. He's going to do this and he's this. Uh, there's also, he calls it a crime. It's not a crime. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's, there's no law written anywhere. It's just like norms. So it's like, they're all, they can all stand there and be all pouty about it. But there was never a law written saying you can't do this. So... No one's going I hope to Chelsea jail. Manning is like, hey, the leak was me again. And and I should just say, like, this is obvious, but fucking uh, Brett Kavanaugh leaked the Star uh, report during like the the impeachment of Bill Clinton. So it's like some of the leakers <laughs> are now Supreme Court justices. <laughs> like they've leaked in the past. Uh, I don't know. It's just, like, amazing how, like, the, the norms, the norms, and it's, like, no one gives a shit about norms. It's all fucking just power and posturing. Like, get over it. I don't fucking care. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but it's not a crime. I don't <laughs> Ezra then discusses how he is jealous of America, who now gets to have this public debate. All the states and the people, we get to have a debate and vote on things, and he's so excited about it. But he's like, poor Canada, it's already decided, and we don't get to have a debate, so. (laughs) You know, the left used to love the court when it did political favors for them. Now they hate it when it undoes their politics. By the way, that may well be Trump's greatest legacy in addition to Middle East peace. He appointed a number of those judges. Watch for the Democrats try to emasculate the court to undermine its morality, to pack it with more judges. It's going to be a big battle, and I'm, I'm jealous of that battle. At least Americans are allowed to debate these things in the media, in the courts, now in the legislatures. Good for Gavin Newsom. At least he's being democratic about it. Now, some are going to win those arguments, or some are going to lose those arguments. I think it'll be different in different states. West Virginia is going to be different than Massachusetts, but... Everyone in America will know that they have the chance to be heard and to try to convince their neighbors of their point of view. That's what democracy looks like. We are not allowed those rights here in Canada, not in the courts, not in the media, not in our legislatures. It's an artificial unanimity up here. Uh, Look at this. In a memo to conservative MPs, Candace Bergen's office instructed MPs that the party would not comment on the leaked U.S. court decision that could overturn abortion rights in that country. Oh, okay, got it. By the way, Canada's current legal position is far more extreme than Roe v. Wade, which uh, says that abortion is legal until the fetus becomes viable. In Canada, I'm not sure if you know this, but abortion is legal at any moment from conception until birth for any reason or no reason. You can abort a baby girl if you don't like girls. It's funded by the government even. And that's the Conservative Party's position, too. Identical to the Liberals and the NDP. Joe Biden doesn't believe in that. He's not that extreme. So this gets to your point. There, there is no specific law in Canada, uh, which makes it legal because there's no prohibition against it. Uh, he is wrong about almost everything else. <laughs> uh, like so, For one, I, I just take him in order. I don't understand why he needs to say emasculating when it comes to, like, court packing. Like, how is court packing will emasculate the (laughs) the court? (laughs) Somehow, if it's 11 judges rather than 9, it's the penises are gone. (laughs) It's been demasculated. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fucking, I love this. Here's the funny thing. There's no law in the Constitution that says it needs to be nine judges. There's like there's no original intent there. They didn't choose nine judges. It wasn't a, like a magical number. That's just where it ended up. So guess what? You can add more, take away some. You could do whatever the fuck you want. As long as you have the votes wanna, to do it. You want a real <laughs> democracy, Ezra? Every citizen is now a, a Supreme Court justice. Yeah! You know, there's an element of that that I like. Everyone gets to decide on every piece of legislation. <laughs> yeah. Just everything is instantly up to referendum. Yeah, but that would be so feminine. So, you know. We... <laughs> and, you know, look at how it worked out for, like, the five-star movement in Italy that, like, based their um, party policies off of uh, the votes of their membership online. <laughs> Yeah. And that's how they ended up in the right-wing Salvini government that was horrifically anti-migrant and everything. Again, this so, is why know, it's important to have... Rule by a majority is not, not always the best. No, I mean, but that's why we have things like the Bill of Rights for yeah, <laughs> no, exactly. majority. Like, yeah, exactly. Just... So then the other thing, abortion in Canada is legal up until birth. However, this does not mean you will have access to abortion up until birth. Abortion is, in fact, regulated... But it's regulated by all those unelected health bureaucrats that Ezra hates so much. Uh, so in every province, they have like different sort of like limitations based on their like uh, health organizations to when you can or cannot have an abortion. So the range seems to be between 12 to 24 weeks is generally, uh, depending on where you are, that's the range where you can get an abortion in Canada. That's 12 to 24 weeks of pregnancy. Except there are, there are exceptions to this. That is, if the fetus is not viable beyond the 24 weeks, or if the mother's uh, or the pregnant person's health is at risk, then then there's exceptions for that, obviously, right? Um, mm. The thing, uh, but it, the, the other part is, there are some clinics in all provinces that do offer abortion past these time periods. It's just that because of how access is limited in Canada, it's not available to everyone, and it's harder to find that. But like standard care, I know in Ontario, I think if you go to most hospitals, it's up to 24 weeks. You can have an abortion in Ontario. As for, so then he went on to talk about sex selective abortion in Canada. Have you ever heard this? So the idea that, no. like, I guess people uh, find out that they're going to have a female baby and therefore they abort it because they don't want a female child. So this is like yeah. the conservatives tried to pass a bill recently and it, it didn't go anywhere. I think only 20 conservative MPs voted for it. But they keep trying to pass these like more restrictive laws. And like, I don't even know how you you discover this so like how like how are you supposed to know whether or not someone had their abortion because they're like i just don't you know what i don't want to have uh female babies the other thing is like how early is that knowable that's a good question so like <laughs> Now, well, first, I want to say 90% of abortions in Canada take place at 12 weeks of pregnancy, okay? Usually, an ultrasound is scheduled between 18 to 21 weeks, which is when most people first discover the sex of the fetus, okay? 
So that means if 90% are within the 12-week period, that the, that gives you only 10% of abortions possibly fit this definition. Of course, not all of the 10% because there's the, the people who uh, find out that their pregnancy is unviable or like other reasons, right? So And, well, like, and people who don't get ultrasounds to check. True. Like, However, the earliest you can find out is still 14 weeks. Like, so that is usually when you can, quote unquote, sex uh, a fetus. But if most people have their abortions at 12 weeks, none of them know uh, what what the sex of the child is. Okay. Yeah. The other thing is like, there's there's zero evidence, absolutely zero evidence that this is happening in Canada. Because the ratio right now is I think there's... Uh, for every 105 boys, there's like 100 girls. And that's like the ratio right now. It obviously changes over time. But that is within the global average, uh, right? Mm. Because like you're going to plus or minus, like the you're rolling dice, right? But 105 to 100 is a pretty close ratio. You know what I mean? So it's like there's absolutely no evidence that we're just having way more men because people are sex selecting to not have women, children, and then aborting them. There's absolutely no evidence that that is happening. And furthermore, speaking of race, which has come up a number of times in this, this has been used as a right-wing dog whistle against immigrants who they claim are coming into this country with a culture of wanting men and therefore aborting women, children. And we need to teach those immigrants not to abort their women, kids. It's coming from a place of bigotry and racism, like it always is. And there's absolutely no evidence that it's happening with immigrants either. So that's fun. (laughs) (sighs) But of course, it always goes back to fucking race every fucking time. We need to take many things from like Latin American social movements. But like the militancy of the feminist movements there, we could really borrow some of that. Like, you know, Mexican feminists bombed... uh, (laughs) the bishops conference hell yeah in mexico uh a few years ago they firebombed i can't remember if it was the parliament or the presidential palace for pro-abortion stuff um i saw some stuff while i was trying to find which building that they had done that to uh i guess they threw molotovs at anti-abortion protesters (laughs) but you know like it's just like it is a huge militant thing kind of across the continent and it works really well and like i don't know like you know there are past movements to take influence from the united states too as well but like you know of the active struggles you look at the ones in latin america and they're kicking ass and they're winning like was it Chile that just got it? And then Mexico, I don't know if they've passed it yet in Mexico, but it has been, like, announced that they're doing it. Like, you know, they're getting abortion rights, and it is through on-the-ground militancy, not through reliance on certain, like, parliamentary forms or on judiciaries. And it's like, that's the only way things are going to get permanently done. And that's the thing is it's not permanent in Canada. Uh, mm-hmm. The of course the the right wing movement is not the equivalent to America's uh, in terms of like this issue just yet. 
Uh, but we don't want it to get that way. And it would be nice if we had uh, governments. And, and the thing is, we have the popular will. Mo like, I was looking at uh, public polling within Canada, and they range between 75 to 90% of Canadians support abortion. Uh, yeah. The higher end numbers accept uh, aspects where there's some people who support abortion, but with some limitations. But generally, most people in this country support abortion, which is funny for him to make it like a state's rights thing or like even a provincial right if you want to go there. Because it's like most people in this country support abortion. So, <laughs> so it's like, for one, it should be a right for a person who's pregnant to choose whatever they get to do to their body. That should just be a right that we don't have to debate. But then on top of that, it's like most of us agree that it's fine. So why are we debating this? Like it should just be enshrined in our fucking law and like left alone. You know? And we should Similar. be fighting for access because the issue in Canada is we need access. But uh, yeah. yeah. Like it's basically impossible to get one in our city without a car because they're just, it's not easy to yeah. get to. But, like, also, and, you know, we've already mentioned the, like, you know, it's not always a good thing when it's a majority opinion. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's correct. But in the U.S. as well, like, a majority of people are in support of abortion access or uh, abortion legality. Like, you know, it is already a thing that is kind of well known. But the issue that we've already talked about in the states is their fucking districts are gerrymandered to shit. So, like, they're not well, majority rule. The people legislating are not being voted in by majorities, you know? That, but and that, that applies even more in Canada, right? Yeah. Like, with First Pass of the Post, where it's like, our governments are, like, generally, like, 20, 25% of the electorate yeah. can elect a majority. Like, it probably less than that, honestly. Like you know 30 40 percent of voters of which not everybody is a voter type of thing you know we're kind of if we are at the mercy of those sorts of systems things can always change anything that we have access to now can be removed i mean yeah uh, the only thing that would be protecting us is uh, a supreme court which luckily has not been taken over in the same way that the americans uh have uh and you know we do have things like the right to privacy. That is, <laughs> that is one uh, one uh, good thing that we still have. So, that being said, we are going to get to the end of this segment before we get to the interview thing. I, like we are spending all day on this fucking thing. <laughs> but the end of this segment, Ezra's going to put forward two hypocrisy arguments to be like, "Gotcha, leftists." So uh, let's hear them, and then we can discuss uh, how effective these arguments are. I'll, I'll see whether you're convinced. But you have to laugh. The people who just spent two years telling you that you have no privacy about your medical decisions, medical procedures, are now saying women should have privacy about their medical procedures. People who spent two years telling you you had to submit to political decisions about your body are now saying that that's immoral. The people who say there's no such thing as a woman now say there very much is such thing as a woman and that men should shut up. Gotcha. Are you convinced? Convinced me. I mean, first of all, just address the, the, uh, the weird transphobic comment at the end. We don't have to go into too much detail there other than it's like, he just had to find some way to say something transphobic about this. So there it was. 
I don't think it's that much of a hypocrisy because I don't know too many people. In fact, I've been seeing a lot of people trying to be like, we need more inclusive language about this, etc. So I ha I've seen more of that than I've seen people being like, men need to stay out. <laughs> Whatever he's trying to argue here. I don't know. Yeah. No, like he's... Like it's a good like five, ten years behind any of the actual dialogues going on in you know, leftish circles. Yeah. And even then, like, the most kind of Twitter-fied opinions. Yep. Yep. Now, as for the first part, I don't think there is a contradiction. In one case, restricting some freedoms to prevent the spread of a disease, for example, and in other cases, allowing a preg pregnant person to decide what gets to happen to their body... And it isn't clear to me why Ezra constantly thinks this is a contradiction. Because even if he says a fetus is a person, and he is then willing to restrict the choice of pregnant people, why is he against COVID restrictions in the name of protecting others? Because the same logic applies. And of course, like the real argument to be had is whether COVID is an actual harm which is something that he doesn't believe, which is why he finds things like the COVID restrictions like invasive. Or, well, like, at least that's how he's selling it to his audience, whether he actually believes this or not. We'll leave that open. Uh, so it's like, th that that is the real debate. And the other debate is whether a fetus is a person, because it's like, it's something I don't believe. Uh, so it's like, if you want to convince me that we should deny a, a person's right to privacy in terms of like what to do with their pregnancy, you have to tell me there's some harm that derives from that. And if it's, it's like he doesn't even want to touch that issue because honestly, it's a stupid fucking issue because like clearly the fetus is not a person. Clearly it relies on the uh, pregnant person's body to subsist and therefore they get to decide what to do with it. And that's the end of the fucking discussion. And it doesn't harm anybody else. Whereas, not getting vaccinated harms other people. <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty straightforward. I think I argued that non-contradictorily, you know? I mean, but I, I went to school for philosophy and logic, so I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stupid academic brain. <laughs> Oh, look at me. I know logic. Oh, my God. So he has his guest on, and his guest is recovering leftist Janine Yunus. And she's on it because this has to do with an American law thing, and she's now the go-to American law person because she works for a Coke-funded libertarian legal firm thing that's trying to defend people to defy COVID restrictions. So that's that's why she's here. And of course, the first thing that comes out of her mouth is uh, <laughs> is that this leak will allow the Democrats to win the midterms and force COVID mandates down our throat. You would think that she would have, you know, want to talk about abortion, uh, considering that it's something that she she would benefit from if if she was ever put in a certain position. But she does address it, but most of it is focused on the fact that she thinks that this is a, a ploy. The leak itself was a ploy by Democrats to win the midterms. But they start similar to the last clip that we played, which is like, aren't the leftists just a bunch of hypocrites? 
You know, it's it's funny. Uh, I I bet there's a lot of overlap between people who today are saying, my body, my choice, keep your laws off my body, and people who 10 minutes ago were for mask mandates and vax mandates, people who now are talking about privacy, who demanded that every American and Canadian reveal their personal health choices to clerks and, and doormen. I, um, I tell you, it's, I'm dizzy from the acrobatics. Uh, what do you make of the, what do you make of this? Well, yeah, it's the sort of hypocrisy I've been talking about the entire time. The only thing I disagree with uh, your statement there was until 10 minutes ago, I think these people are still uh, pro-mask mandate and pro-vaccine mandate. I don't think they've changed at all, or I don't think they're uh, willing to recognize the hypocrisy of their position. Um, and actually, one really interesting thing I think is worth pointing out is, I mean, the vaccine has, uh, COVID vaccine has not been tested. There have been no randomized controlled studies conducted on pregnant women. And yet these people were fine with mandating vaccines for pregnant women. But now all of a sudden they care about uh, pregnant women's right to choose. Um, and, you know, I should make clear, I, I actually, um, you know, I'm probably in the uh, anti-mandate camp. I'm a rare person who is actually pro-choice philosophically uh, mm. speaking. I don't think Roe v. Wade was a legally sound decision. So this doesn't bother me that much. Um, so that last little bit, we might as well just hit on that first. Do you understand what she just said? She's pro-choice philosophically yeah. speaking. So that means that in a hypothetical scenario, she's pro-choice. But Roe v. Wade is not legally sound. So that means she's not worried by it. She's pro-choice philosophically. She doesn't think Roe v. Wade was sound legally, but she's also just like, she's fine with it being overturned. Like that part, the other two, like I can somewhat be like, okay, you're like idiot legal nerd. You're going to be like, oh, it's not sound or whatever. Yeah. The right to privacy is not in the constitution, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Or like, you know, it's not as explicit as it needs to be legislatively sure. or whatever, yeah. you know? Like, I can at least see some sort of, like, you know, if that were an argument, considering you're pro-choice philosophically, I could see an argument being like, so we need to legislate this immediately so that it can't be overturned ever or so that, like, despite these illegal inconsistencies, we're covered for the future or blah, 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 blah. But, like, it doesn't bother me. It's like, okay, so you're not pro-choice. Yeah, <laughs> like, you're not pro-choice. It's just a philosophical approach. It's like, I like it in the abstract, you know? I, I like to sit there and go, hey, freedom to choose. Isn't this cool? But, like, in reality, no, we gotta rein people in, you know? <laughs> I'm really pro-trolley problem. Um, <laughs> just don't ask me to flip the switch, you know? I Like, I don't... The only thing that I could think of is that, like, there might be part of her that's pro-choice, but, like, she's realizing she can't have a position here because, like, it's like, I can't expose, like, where I'm at or else, like, people are going to lose their minds at me. Or I'll lose my job if I tell them that I'm actually pro-choice, you know? So I got to tell them I'm pro-choice philosophically. I just, I'm against choice in this specific circumstance. (laughs) Yeah, it's just, like, amazing what, like, kind of knots they have to tie themselves into. The other thing that I want to address in that clip, though, is she did say that there's been no randomized controlled trials for vaccines, uh, COVID vaccines on pregnant women. All I had to do was Google it, and I found dozens. Dozens and dozens. (laughs) In fact, some of them had titles like randomized controlled trial on pregnant people for the COVID-19 vaccine. (laughs) 
but Jody. Yeah. I actually don't even have one for this. <laughs> I don't. I, and like a lot. I was hoping it would come to me. It didn't. <laughs> and most of them all showed that they're. It's it's fine. It's fine. Have at her. Get get vaccinated. You'll be fine. The fetus is fine. Everything's fine. Like. They haven't been tested. What? One of them had an N of forty thousand. Forty thousand pregnant women that were in this randomized control trial. <laughs> okay, so we're not even talking small numbers of people here. We're talking a lot of pregnant women in this randomized control trial. Oh my god, it's incredible. I love it. You could just say whatever the fuck you want. You know. So now this we get back to the leak. Janine, so we heard Ezra's opinion about the leak and who Ezra thinks it is. You know, it's it's a left-wing clerk, right? Now we get Janine and who she thinks is the real leaker. I suspect it was a clerk, and I think there are two interpretations. One is that it's a pro-choice clerk who saw themselves as sort of a hero for breaking this and possibly um, being able to change the course of things by doing so or getting, you know, Democrats very riled up about it. Um, the other interpretation is, is it's a right-wing clerk who sought to sort of solidify the decision by leaking it. I tend to think it's probably the first one. Um, that's just sort of what my gut tells me. I might be wrong. So her gut tells her it's a left-wing. <laughs> I love like it, they're all like, we're pretty sure it's a left-wing. But her argument for why it is a could be a right-wing clerk actually gets really close to probably why it was a right-wing clerk. And there's starting to be like evidence that is coming out now suggesting that it likely came from a right-wing clerk, including the fact that it seems like leaks were coming out, being leaked to the Wall Street Journal, coming out of like the early decision-making between the judges, which is like, that, those are the right-wing judges de deliberating over this, not the left-wing. Because yeah. we know where the left-wing people were standing, so it wouldn't be their clerks talking about their deliberation. You know what I mean? Uh, so it's... You know, we, we don't know yet. We might not know. But the evidence is starting to show it's it's looking like it's possibly from the right wing. And you want, and when it comes to, like, bolstering, I don't think it's that they wanted to, like, solidify the five that, like, locked on. What they want is to get John Roberts, who's the one person who's kind of, like, on the fence. And the reason mm -hmm. why they want to lock him in, because it looks better if it's a 6-3 decision than if it's a 5-4 decision. Right. Especially if one of the conservative judges decides not to overturn it, where they want all the six conservative judges to vote for it. It makes it look more like legit. Right. Yeah. yeah. So they're doing this to put pressure on John Roberts so he will agree and sign on to it. That's what's happening here. And there's a reason. So that's why they would leak it on the right to put this pressure on John Roberts. And yet all the right wing has been doing is trying to like. Uh, you know, <laughs> be like, no, it's got to be a left winger. But like, how does this benefit the left wing? Because we would have found out in July anyways, when they like, or June or July, whenever they give us the, the announcement. So why does it matter if we know now or in July? Like, does that really change anything? Yeah, I'm trying to like think of a, you know, if you look at protest movements and whatever, whatever else, like, you know, they'll go for a couple months and then they'll get burnt out or arrested or repressed in whatever co-opted etc etc so like it's almost better like if it had come out when the actual decision happened rather than now because it's like you know they're not going to do much now yeah maybe. they'll get mad yeah. and like you know ideal scenario 
maybe there's a few less judges in a couple months. <laughs> but like, and you know, then somebody else gets put in the position and it doesn't get, it doesn't happen. But like, you know, they'll be burnt out probably by the time the decision is actually announced now. Like, there is no real benefit to the left for it coming out now. Whereas for the right, like, yeah, they can try to win over the judge. They can kind of, like, galvanize things more in society and, like... Or even do the thing also, that you just said. Yeah, Have like a little that. bit of an outburst right now and have it fizzle out or, like, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And also, like, you know, this gives warning for the right wing to get ready for what it actually happens to. Like, yeah. so, you know, legislatively and, like, on the street, the right will be prepared come July if there is another outburst of, like, popular rage about this. You know, like, it, it is a lot of mobilization time, basically, that the right gains from this in a lot of different ways. And who knows? I mean, like, th this is just the nature of, like, reality. Like, it could have just been, like, an idiot left winger who was just like ah, i'll do it i'll make I'll like who like who knows at the end of the day who knows yeah. but like it's or just could... weird i don't even see the benefit to them for wanting to play this game like even for... for leaking stuff to like because that's the only real like no like if it's a left winger because like ezra wanted to say that if it comes out as a left winger they're gonna heap praise on him and give him a ton of money and all this stuff but it's like if anything i like as i said like they'll they'll be like the sanctity of the court has been ruined because of you and you'll never work in a court again like that's that seems yeah. way more realistic to me than like all of a sudden like people are throwing millions of dollars at this guy for leaking it like i don't know i just i don't yeah. see the benefit of a left winger doing it especially since the no. right wing again it's not just Brett Kavanaugh. The right wing leaks things judicially all the fucking time. They have a history of doing it and getting away with it and then being promoted, like becoming a Supreme Court justice after doing it, you know? Like, it's it's amazing. Maybe, maybe as a left wing legal clerk trying to, try to yeah. pack the courts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there's a guy months. named Joe Manchin who's in the way with that. And Joe Manchin was the sole vote, too, uh, in the Senate, because uh, they recently had a vote on this. He was the only Democrat to decide that he was going to be against uh, bodily autonomy. So that's fun. Woohoo. There's one more hypocrisy angle that uh, was said frequently, but not in like a piece where it was like easy for me to clip it. So I just wanted to state it here, which is like... Throughout both Ezra's opening segment and Janine's, the discussion with Janine here, they keep trying to do this hypocrisy where it's like that, like somehow the left is going to respond to this in a way that is worse than what happened on January 6th. And so the gotcha is that like the left was so against the January 6th violence, but now they're going to do a violence because of this, right? <laughs> and I, I hope so. I mean, well, yeah, sure. But, like, that's not why, like, we're not mad at January 6th because it was violent, you know? It was because it was based on nothing. <laughs> you know? Violent, or or it was based on a lie, right? Like, violence in the name of bullshit is not good. Violence for a just cause can be good. Like, it de like these things have a little bit more nuance to them. But it's just, like, amazing to me that, like, they, they seem to think 
I mean, partly because it benefits their position to make it sound like we're being hypocritical because we're against violence in one instant, but like would be pro-violence in another instant. And it's like, no, there's a reason why I was pro some of the rioting that was occurring during Black Lives Matter. And I'm anti what happened on January 6th, right? One was for a just cause. The other was for fucking nothing. <laughs> Read some just war theory, Ezra. Yeah. and I mean, Read like, some Augustine or whoever. But this is like all their hypocrisy gotchas have this fundamental flaw with them. Like even the other ones, right? Like the thing about like you were pro-choice when it came to like abortion, but you're anti-choice when it comes to vaccine. And it's like, no, it's because if you don't get vaccinated, you can harm other people. It's a different scenario. There's a factual matter that makes your hypocrisy stupid, your hypocrisy gotcha stupid. And all of their hypocrisy gotchas fall victim to this fatal flaw, which is that they get all the premises wrong. You know, <laughs> it's like, sure, if if you're right about all the premises, maybe it's a hypocrisy, but you're wrong. So it's not a hypocrisy. End of discussion. So we get to the mailbag segment. And Ezra takes one more stab at the hypocrisy narrative, but I wanted to play this because it's it's the same narrative, but there's just like an added addition of a lot of projection here. So I think it was worth listening to. You know, I'll never forget the front page of the Toronto Star, though, when they put up all those hate messages against the unvaxxed. I mean, never give the left the moral authority, never grant them... Um, you know, that they're morally better than you. They're not. In fact, they, they're immoral. You know, I, I, it took me a while to realize that accusing the left of hypocrisy, and that's what I did in my monologue. I said, look, these hypocrites just spent two years saying you don't have the right to bodily autonomy, and now they're all for bodily autonomy. Ha-ha, caught you in hypocrisy. They don't care about hypocrisy. They're, you know, if a double standard, accusing someone of double standard, uh, only hurts the feelings of someone who believes in standards. The hardcore left will do anything, say anything, climb over any dead body, metaphorically speaking, to get their way. So pointing out their hypocrisy, okay, it's a good point, but they don't care about that. They know they're hypo hypocrites. The fascinating thing about that is I did, this is the one thing where it's like I have like research credentials on. I did my undergraduate honors thesis on right-wing authoritarianism. And when you test people on their degree of uh, internal consistency, left-wing people scored very high. Left-wing people care way more about internal consistency, whereas right-wingers, they care way, way more about loyalty than they do about truth and consistency. They care about whose side are you? Are you on my team? We're on the same team? Okay, let's go. Let's go to the same church. We're on the same team. That's what right-wingers care about. They don't care about hypocrisy. They don't care about internal consistency, which is why throughout this entire episode of Ezra trying to make hypocrisy gotchas, it's all been incoherent and there's no truth to any of the fucking things he's saying. And yet he projects that onto us. <laughs> When all the data shows that it's the left that are constantly infighting over internal consistency of their views. No, I have the right theory of this, because if you take into account all of this, and oh no, I have the right view, because if you take into all of this, and then yeah, we fight. Yeah, Jody, you fucking liberal. Yeah. <laughs> Come you around Trotsky to the destruction of Maoist. all communications technology. <laughs> I'm a second-tier Trotskyist Maoist, and I think that all the other Marxist, Leninist, Stalinist Maoists are wrong. I'm an Amprim Maoist. <laughs> but no, it, 
Ezra is just completely wrong about this. It's it's just amazing the projection that like we were the we we don't care about standards. We we just we just fight and throw rocks at things for no reasons. We're just nah! no consistency. I love it. Meanwhile, meanwhile, if you think of it, he's spent the past two fucking years talking nonstop about the right to privacy. Did he ever say that he's for the right to privacy in this episode? In any of the clips that I played, did he go, I am for the right to privacy? He said it privately. <laughs> it's almost like someone doesn't have standards. They fucking blow in the wind. Well, and the other thing, too, is like, you know, he's using it as a gotcha on us when it's like, you know, by his standard, the gotcha also applies to him, where it's like, ah, but I've been pro bodily autonomy this the past two years. In, but now I'm know, against it. Marks. But now <laughs> I'm against it. This is internally consistent. Like, cause why else? Do, why else do the the does him bringing up the hypocrisy thing work? Because he's like, he's like, all these people were against bodily autonomy, and now look at them. But then it's like, okay, then say that you're for uh, a pregnant person's right to choose. Say it, Ezra. Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. <laughs> And here's the thing is, this is where it, it doesn't matter. Because just like he said that the left wing, they don't have standards. So like, no matter how many times you point out the hypocrisy, they're never going to like, how many times are we going to point out his hypocrisy on this fucking show? Is he ever going to change his mind? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it would be very funny if he did. He just so, He listens whoa. to two episodes of Imperial <laughs> News. And then he's like, yeah. I've been lying for years. We're rebel news. <laughs> And we are calling for communism in Canada. <laughs> oh, and then he wish. shoots the camera because he's anti-communications technology now. Oh, Lord. All right, let's let's spend the last five minutes to go through the rest of the week because, uh, honestly, it's going to go that fast. Nothing happened. May 4th, Canada. Apparently, there was this organization that demoted Canada in terms of press freedom. And the reason cited was over the coverage of indigenous issues. And Ezra is upset because it should be demoted, or Canada should have been demoted for press freedom because of the coverage of the truckers. So, <laughs> so Ezra complains that in the report, it mentions journalists being harassed by truckers as another reason for why Canada got demoted uh, in terms of press freedom. And Ezra is like, Oh, that's the reason you cited? Well, what about when the government shot my employee? <laughs> Remember Alexis, uh, got, or Alexa got shot with a rubber bullet, and they, they keep saying that the government shot her. Uh, she got executed. She got old yellered. Yeah, she got old yellered by the government. Uh, the other thing is, like, we're also being prosecuted by the government. After all, they're suing me for writing a book, and they're and they blocked me on Twitter. <laughs> so now I have to sue them. <laughs> That's why they should have been demoted, not all because of the indigenous stuff. So yeah, the, what what the fuck do I say to Canada that? Canada demoted for press freedom <laughs> blocks people on Twitter. <laughs> So then the, the interview is with Sheila and they announced something that like, I'll have to look more into, but apparently they're doing like some citizen journalist course or something. And it's, it's in conjunction with True North, uh, which is another 
affiliated to Rebel News Program. And I mean affiliated loosely. They just a lot of uh, overlap in terms of like guesting on both shows or whatever. Uh, but one of the guests who's going to be at this citizen journalism course conference thing is uh, one Sir David Rubin. <laughs> oh, yay. So, uh, I don't know. I didn't realize he was a journalist, but <laughs> but okay. All right. Sure. And then May 5th, I literally, I listened to the episode, and my only note for the entire show was, oh my god, Sheila is guest hosting, and this is boring. And I honestly can't even remember what they talked about, so... <laughs> I think the the only other thing I know is that the interview was Frank Terrazano, who's the Taxpayer Federation dude, and the whole time he's just like deficits are bad. And that was like the whole show. So, oh, I, deficits <laughs> uh, and debts. He's like, have you seen the debt clock? The number keeps going up. And uh, yeah, I just I don't care. So, <laughs> oh. So that was the 5th, and now we're on to May 6th. May 6th was a little bit more interesting. It was David Menzies who was the guest host. Uh, I want to say, notice again, just like last week, the Thursday and the Friday show had guest hosts again. Uh, th- well, it might have even been like the third week in a row where like the Thursday or the Friday had guest hosts, which is like is telling me like, I feel like Ezra's either writing a book or he's spending a lot of time in court. So uh, just interesting to note that. As for the David Menzies piece, the the primary uh, part of his like opening monologue is he's talking about Patrick Brown because there was already a CPC leadership debate. So the Conservative Party is having a leadership uh, election, which doesn't take place till September, but they've been having uh, leader debates that are going to take us all through the summer until the uh, election. And on the very first debate, Patrick Brown did not show up. Now, I don't know why he didn't show up, and personally, I don't really care, but Menzies is going to speculate on why he doesn't show up, and part of it is that I guess David Menzies claims that he's he he's just like he doesn't need the voters. He's going to sort of like buy people membership, and we'll get to it in a second, but like, so David has like some nefarious reason for why he did not show up to debate, but most of the, the rest of the opening monologue is, again, David Menzies was arrested by Patrick Brown's police when he stalked Patrick Brown at a, an ice hockey rink. And there's an issue there where Patrick Brown might have also been in the wrong. So uh, this is a less negative reporting. If, if David Menzies did more of that reporting, that's cool. Fine. <laughs> Let them fight, you know. But he also brings up Patrick Brown's sexual misconduct allegations and all of that and digs through all the dirt. And they're things that we've already gone over. So all of that is fine. Patrick Brown sucks. I think we can all agree with that. He then, this yeah. is like the, the first time he brings this up. He focuses a lot of time as well on the Tamil Tigers. So I guess Patrick Brown is in support of removing the ter- Tamil Tigers from the terrorist designation. And the thing is, it's like the, the Tamil Tigers don't even really exist anymore, at least not in a, like a, a functioning capacity. You have a lot of people who still like support them in some capacity, but like, yeah. Not in the same way as like them being an actually structured uh, group, right? The civil war is over. Yeah, <laughs> like, they, they demobilized. Like, yeah, but it's yeah. like you still have the remnants of the people who are like, remember those times. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, and you have like surviving fighters, yeah. and like I bet the organization still exists. It's just more underground than it used to be. Right, but it's like 
the whole reason they were on there is not occurring anymore. And so anyways, Menzies is like, this is evidence that Patrick Brown just loves terrorists. So that is that is leading up to the clip that we're going to listen to. And the only thing that I'm going to frame how Menzies talks about this is it sounds very reminiscent to things that Bernier said on our last episode. So uh, if you don't remember last episode, Bernier was talking about how Patrick Brown uh, is his friend, but... <laughs> He seems to be campaigning with all those ethnic communities. This is inconsequential to Mr. Brown, the leader of the Me, Myself and I party. Clearly, his goal is to sell hundreds, if not thousands of party memberships to certain targeted ethnic groups. Brown promises to pay attention to their old mother world concerns. In return, they need only buy a party membership and vote for Patrick Brown. The thing is, such a hoorish strategy might just swing the vote in certain key writings. The fact that the vast majority of Canadians likely don't want our nation to get soft on terrorism and terrorists is of no concern to Brown. This pathetic weasel seeks power for the sake of power. In his playbook, the ends always justify the means. And maybe that is the reason Patrick Brown was a no-show at the debate last night. He's just way too busy cooking up backroom deals. And some of those backroom deals are being done with people who, quite frankly, do not subscribe to the values of a Western democracy. And this is why we support Patrick Brown and his leadership run for the Conservatives. Sadly, it's the one like defensible <laughs> position. Yeah, you know? I know, I know. Uh, if only he wasn't a, a creep. <laughs> Listen, they're conservative leaders. They're all going to be creeps. We might as well get the creep that's pro-terrorism. briefly talked about um press freedoms um today and so considering um what has happened in palestine in the past day uh with the killing of shireen abu akla um in janine um and we also talked about janine Yunus um in uh, by an israeli sniper um despite her wearing her full press suit and being with a bunch of other journalists far away from the fighting. Um, you know, if you want to see what, like, actual press and freedom looks like, not, you know, getting hit while you're protesting or uh, not being able to attend conservative rallies for a couple of years, um, you know... Uh, I'm posting a, or I'm gonna link to a uh, Middle East Eye article about um, the killing of uh, Shireen and um, the complicity of the West in just kind of letting shit like this happen all the time. Well, do you um, think? 
Ezra next week is going to do an episode on how Israel is now worse than Canada in terms of press freedom because at least Canada isn't killing their journalists. Do you think Ezra's going to have that segment? Yeah, no, exactly, right? Like, between that and just, like, you know, where is the international outrage going to be, too? Like, it's not... Nobody cares. The... What was it? The Palestinian... um what is it called? The Palestinian Journalist Syndicate um, says that Israeli forces have killed more than 46 Palestinian journalists since 2000 um, and the end of the Second Intifada. So, you know, this is a regular thing that occurs. And she was the Al Jazeera correspondent. Like, she is super, super well-known in the region and was known by like Israeli authorities and like was known by basically everybody and still assassinated like just openly blatantly barely disguising it like you know disguising it by being like oh it was Palestinians really that did it when like there was no fighting going on in the area beyond the Israelis firing on these journalists yeah it's just super fucked up like Last year, during their bombing campaign on Gaza, they like specifically targeted a building that housed a bunch of journalist organizations, uh, including yeah. AP. I believe Al Jazeera was in there as well, but I can't remember. There was a bunch yeah. of journalist organizations in the building, and they claimed that they were harboring human shields, and so therefore they had to, uh, or that the the terrorists were using the journalists as human shields, and they had to bring down the the whole building. So, so this is yeah, like, yeah, it's an ongoing, it's a very regular on occurrence. Yeah, yeah. and. Uh, you know, in a similar vein to the actual reason why we were downgraded for press freedoms, indigenous movements get targeted for repression. You know, like, this shit sucks, and it's very, like, blatant and real, not Ezra being like, oh, well... Well, not only that, like, whatever. You, you just touched on it for me. There was a, a, a journalist in Canada... I think I can't remember if it still might be ongoing where he went with an indigenous group that was like, uh, I think it had something to do with a pipeline of some capacity, but they were they're going in to block shit. And the journalist went with them to report on it. And now they're being uh, investigated and they're having to go through trials as he's being like prosecuted for going with them into this site, right, to report yeah. on it. Meanwhile, wasn't Ezra embedded with a bunch of people who had weapons? Uh, <laughs> not Ezra himself, but Rebel News employees were embedded with a bunch of white nationalist terrorists that had guns at the Coots border in Alberta. Yet, like, he's not... Where's the prosecutions there for his reporters for hanging out with these terrorists? Like, it's fucking incredible. Yeah. Hypocrisy gotcha! <laughs> Surprise! Uh, well, if you support and enjoy what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. If you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at imperial news with a Z. We have a Discord set up. We do Twitch streams every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can find videos on our YouTube channel, and you can find all the links in the show notes of this episode. Lastly, you can email us any question at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at masontickle.com. Thank you for listening, and the Supreme Court of the United States, we find this defendant guilty of cancellation. <laughs>
Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields.